Uh, I'd like to introduce our speaker today, uh, Eric Miller. He is uh, a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, and he is also the uh, president at Rideau uh, Potomac Strategy Group. Um, he has previously served as Vice President of Policy North America and Cybersecurity at the Business Council of Canada, and he worked on many issues, including supply chain and technologies. He previously also represented Industry Canada at the Canadian Embassy here in Washington, D.C., uh, where he advised Canadian officials on U.S. economic policies, political technology issues. Uh, which his background, this cross-border background, gives him a really unique experience to talk about the different perspectives of how we work together in North America and the geopolitical developments that are here. So we are so excited um, to have Eric here. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to put them in the chat at the bottom, um, and we will get to them uh, throughout the talk or uh, you are also able to, I believe, raise your hand throughout uh, the system as well. So with that, I will turn it over to Eric. Thank you so much, Allison. It's a great pleasure to be here today uh, to discuss my recent paper on the quantum revolution. So next slide, please. So just to situate what is the quantum revolution, of course, John Bell uh, did a lot of the key work in advancing quantum mechanics, but he, but, uh, in lectures dedicated to him, they said conceptual quantum revolutions indeed turn into technological revolutions, which is what we're going to discuss today. Next slide, please. So my recent paper, which was published by the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, sponsored by AWS, was designed to provide policymakers with a broad overview of what's happening in quantum. So not necessarily those who are reading the journals every day. And so we'll discuss what is the quantum revolution, some emerging use cases, what different countries are doing, and of course, the role for policy. Next slide, please. And next slide, please. So just to define a little bit about the quantum revolution, certainly quantum mechanics has been evolving since the end of the 19th century. We saw in the 20th century, the use of quantum knowledge and things like MRI machines, semiconductors, nuclear weapons, et cetera. But what's happening now is really uh, a move towards directly harnessing quantum phenomena. Next slide, please. And then some of the key quantum phenomena, this is kind of the background glossary you need to know about superposition, entanglement, uncertainty, wave particle duality. And so these are some of the, this is the scientific magic that makes a lot of this technology work. Next slide, please. What So just to give a general sense of what's happening and why we're here now. So in essence, over the last half decade, there's been a huge amount of money and political interest going into quantum. And that's because this technology is stepping out of the laboratory and really moving into the mainstream. And so we saw in 2016, China successfully send uh, an entangled uh, message in the form of a laser between two ground stations, which really presage the beginning of a quantum encrypted communications network. The US uh, passed the National Quantum Initiative Act in 2018, which really put money and organization behind its quantum efforts. We've seen qu uh, private capital uh, surging into quantum, going from uh, around $100 million in 2015 to a billion in the first three quarters of this year. And we've even seen our first quantum IPO uh, in IonQ. And we've also seen the technology get both more powerful 
and to have a much lower error rate, which is something that's important. So getting better, more money, uh, people are interested. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. So let's talk a little bit about use cases and what this means. So I call cybersecurity the end of the world as we know it, and I'm not feeling fine because quantum holds the potential very significantly to break prime factorization, which is the uh, core uh, of RSA and other key algorithms which secure your ATM and secure other things on the web. Certainly we know how to do this theoretically. It is a matter of time till this happens. And when that comes, uh, you will see a very messy situation where companies will need to decide what needs to be secured, what doesn't need to be secured. Naturally, the US government and others are hard at work trying to design what a post-quantum algorithm looks like. But as we've seen with the spate of recent ransomware attacks, we know that uh, securing networks takes a long time and that everyone does not always update when they need to update. So this is going to be a very significant ramification of the quantum space that we will have to work very hard to mitigate and ensure that it happens in the smoothest possible manner. Next slide, please. Obviously, national security, which is very much a, a driver uh, of a lot of the discussion on quantum. Uh, you've seen people talk about quantum as being at the core, certainly a key part of the new revolution in military affairs that brings together AI, hypersonics, uh, autonomous vehicles. And we saw in China uh, earlier this year, the airborne drones. Uh, creating quantum communications channels with ground stations and themselves. So really providing uh, ultra secure communications while they're in flight. You've seen Canada, which uh, most of the paper uh, is really premised around uh, focusing on quantum sensing and really holding the potential to diminish Clausewitz's famous fog of war. It's also a major priority for the US, which is uh, uh, investing a lot of resources, but I think the report from the Defense Science Board in 2021 about the utility of quantum radar reminds us that this is not a steady linear march forward, that there's a lot of work and effort and dead ends that lead to good things uh, that, that happen eventually that go into developing this technology. Next, uh, next slide, please. So we've seen uh, major players emerge, uh, certainly established tech players like IBM, Microsoft, AWS, Google are investing heavily, but you've also seen uh, large pure play uh, quantum companies, including D-Wave, Allison's company, uh, which is a very important player and really a unique innovator in this space by uh, how it's used its quantum annealing technology. So this is where a lot of that money that we saw in the earlier slide is going. And you have companies doing really interesting things and importantly, placing really different bets about what technology they think will succeed and what they don't think will succeed. Because after all, the best methodology is not yet settled on this. And people uh, are betting the farm that uh, one approach versus the other really uh, is going to work better. So it's very exciting. Next slide, please. Uh, a lot of economic applications for quantum. If you read the websites of a lot of the leading quantum companies, there's a lot of use case descriptions. And so just to give you some example, so you see things like finance, so derivatives pricing, risk assessment, supply chain, certainly solving the uh, traveling salesperson problem, 
around root efficiency, a lot of great applications in pharma because you can look at 3D structures and proteins and compare molecules. My, some of my favorite stuff is the anti-counterfeiting um, pieces where you're creating unique quantum identifiers on things like uh, $5,000 handbags. So you can know that your Birkin bag really is a genuine Birkin bag and uh, certainly integrity and in things like passports and, and currency and things of that nature. So there's a huge swath of, of research use cases that are taking place uh, really uh, across the economy and many, many uh, companies are participating in that because this will show us the way for what will become a really viable uh, business application into the future. Next slide, please. So I wanted to go now into what are some of the major countries doing? So next slide, please. So I put in the paper this map. Uh, it's always difficult to know what are the totals. Uh, I guess some of the qualifiers are, uh, these would be things that are publicly available. Uh, in the case of China, which I'll talk about, uh, it's hard to know really what they're spending. Uh, certainly one has to expect that in the intelligence communities in many countries, they're spending uh, significant amounts more than this. And it's also done from 2018 to 2025, and not everybody's time frame aligns on that, but this is a best good faith estimate about who's doing what uh, within this seven year period when the quantum revolution is really, really advancing. Next slide, please. So let's talk about China, which uh, has been a, a key competitive driver, both uh, uh, from a security perspective and an economic perspective. Uh, we do know, according to the OECD, that China spent about $378 billion on R&D in 2020. We do know that in the 13th and 14th five-year plans that quantum has featured very centrally, even within, um, uh, they've set up not only the National Laboratory uh, in Hefei, but they've also set up this ultra-secure communications network between Beijing and Shanghai. Uh, and they're continuing to, to invest heavily in the five-year plan and corporate China, the, the Tencents and the Alibabas of the world. So you see, uh, you, you see the UK, for example, uh, is, uh, is also investing heavily. You've seen uh, uh, upwards of a billion pounds go into this. They've set up consortiums around universities uh, and are doing a lot of work on things such as communication, simulation, and sensors. So they're really seeing quantum as a major priority area uh, for them. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, Europe as a whole, so continental Europe, you've seen an EU strategy and you've seen a German strategy. Angela Merkel being a quantum chemist has been very interested and focused on this particular uh, area and her country has put about 2 billion euros into uh, the uh, development of quantum technologies, including commissioning to work with several quantum computers. France is putting uh, 1.8 billion and they've, their allocation uh, goes a lot into quantum computing, but also into communications and others into sensors. So you see the big thematic areas where many people are placing bets. Next slide, please. Uh, Japan has been working on quantum since the 1980s. They're, putting money steadily into it. So an allocation in the 2020 budget uh, for 30 billion yen or about 250 million US over five years uh, to work on quantum. They also have this uh, moonshot initiative that the cabinet office 
that runs, which is designed to, to really do big breakthrough initiatives. And it's an interesting way of approaching it. And then they've had company and university consortiums. And you've seen, for example, uh, Tokyo University linking up with the University of British Columbia and others uh, outside to develop these technologies. Next slide, please. In the case of Canada, uh, which uh, the paper goes very extensively into, uh, you've seen Canada making steady investments over the last two decades, so at least uh, a billion dollars uh, that have gone into building up really world-class quantum centers in Toronto and Waterloo and Vancouver and Sherbrooke, Quebec, and more recently in Alberta. There's been a big focus on talent acquisition, talent development, as well as on pushing forth the research and development. One of the interesting things about the Canadian ecosystem is a very uh, close alignment between some of the leading universities and some of the big um, global tech players. So Microsoft, which is in uh, Seattle, tends to align more closely with the Vancouver schools. IBM tends to work with Sherbrooke. Uh, Google has tended to work with Waterloo. And so you have these very interesting connections, but this is also not impeded the growth of, um, of Canadian level global scale companies. And in the last budget, the Canadian federal government uh, put uh, 360 million over seven years, which, and there'll be other money on top of that, and are now completing uh, the national quantum strategy, which is really designed to guide the next phase of Canada's quantum development. Next slide, please. And then finally, uh, the US, uh, we've mentioned the National Quantum Initiative. A lot of that money has gone into setting up five quantum research centers at National Labs. National Science Foundation ha has uh, put 75 million in. We've also seen a major push, mostly based out of Chicago, uh, to develop a national quantum internet within 10 years. So the software and the hardware and the interconnectivity. And, big, and, then, um, and then we've also seen uh, in addition, the National Defense Authorization Act prominently feature quantum as a major area of focus for the Department of Defense uh, over the uh, years ahead. Next slide, please. So, oh, next slide, please. So, just a few takeaways for uh, policy when uh, at the end of this. So, obviously, the quantum revolution is coming, but it's not quote unquote come yet. So we need to continue to see heavy investments in quantum technologies and continued uh, focus of innovation ecosystems. One of the things that a number of folks have talked about is in the area of government procurement. And are there ways that we can get uh, governments to not just fund longer term research, but also focus on prioritizing some technologies that are on the, the market now and applying them to government activities? This is a way of helping to provide some, uh, some revenue to some emerging companies that are, are really doing these breakthroughs, but there's certainly that bridge effect that is um, necessary. Uh, collaboration is a very important piece. Um, it's, it's necessary for, uh, for the US to work with its allies on carving out lanes. So we've seen statements uh, with uh, Japan, with the UK, with Australia. And these are a good start, but we need to understand what are the genuine areas of expertise, how to co-invest, and how to ensure that everyone feels that their interests and capabilities are being put to the fore. Because after all, there is competitive commercial dimensions to this, as well as 
cooperative dimensions of building out national security capabilities. Uh, on the communications front, certainly this is an area that a lot of the leading players are not focused on. They tend to be focused on the quantum computer, but looking at how do we interconnect these uh, quantum computers into communications networks and secure the endpoints and uh, uh, and, uh, and and work on uh, refining methodologies around teleporting and things of that nature uh, will be very important. Next slide, please. Uh, talent is at the core of this. There needs to be some really important thinking around the talent creation pipeline, uh, scholarships for students. Uh, one of the things I, I saw when I worked extensively in cybersecurity that I quite liked was the Cyber Patriot uh, National Youth Cyber Defense Competition, where you could identify uh, talented young people and give them scholarships and help get them into the system. And of course, uh, when I compare the US with Canada, having a discussion around um, immigration and, and, and bringing talented people in so those breakthrough innovations are, are made uh, here and not in other parts of the world, uh, that's something which is important. And then finally, uh, it's important to, to flag again the, um, the emerging uh, challenges associated with what some call Q-Day, which is when uh, RSA is broken and we're into uh, really a post-quantum world uh, when it comes to cyber security. So next slide, please. So finally, I just wanted to leave you with the thoughts of uh, Jeremy O'Brien, the CEO of PSI Quantum. And I think he's right when he says that, that you get an exponential advantage from a quantum computer because it really can turn the impossible into the possible. And we've seen that even with uh, major use cases. So next and final slide, please. Thank you for your attention today. Uh, for your reference, uh, the, both the front slide and this piece are from uh, an exhibit at the Hirshhorn Museum from Laurie Anderson, which I quite liked and thought uh, captured a little bit of the mystery and challenge that we're facing in the quantum revolution. So with that, I'll take questions. Thanks so much. I really appreciate the talk, Eric. Um, there was one question in the chat um, from David Wazanadu. Uh, about the 500 million Canadian dollar figure that was in the map. Um, you know, what does that include beyond the recently announced uh, national strategy? So that would include, uh, for example, ongoing funding for uh, research partnerships and things of that nature. So you have what are called Canada research chairs, which uh, provide significant amounts of money. Uh, we also saw a co-investment agreement uh, for example, between the Government of Canada and D-Wave, which I'm, I know you're well aware of, and we've seen a number of other initiatives with other pots of money. You've seen what we also know coming out of the Department of National Defense. And so these things are, are, are meant to be a good faith estimate, and I can certainly uh, give him a breakdown uh, offline, but I've, I put in the paper a long footnote trying to say this is what... Uh, this is where the number came from. And I used actually Canada as an example, because when you start at 2018, you have some of the, the legacy money, which went in to, to create and, and fund some of the centers as well going forward. So statistics are, are a wonderful thing, but they can be uh, tricky to, uh, to calculate sometimes. And, and I do want to call out uh, David, Xanadu is another very good Canadian company that's doing photonics quantum computing as well. So, uh, and they were earlier in your presentation. Uh, yeah. Michael we, Hart. 
Yeah, we should also mention that Xanadu was one of the major companies to receive venture funding. And so they've, there's really been a strong recognition by the market of, of the, the work that Xanadu is doing. And it's, it's really extraordinarily exciting to see them growing in, uh, in this space. One of the questions I'd love to ask you is, um, and then we'll get to Ludwig's question about talent, but um, obviously you saw so many of the different global governments that are getting engaged. And you know, you mentioned Angela Merkel's background, and obviously today uh, they just uh, confirmed uh, Olaf Scholz um, it, to be the new chancellor. You know, how are these kind of cross-border quantum cooperation agreements viewed? I don't believe. Canada has one yet, but how do you, would you like navigate through this and the importance of these kind of quantum cooperation agreements? So I think um, when you saw the first one, which was with Japan, it was an important statement. Um, I think diplomacy is one of those things that starts general that says we have a shared interest in, in, in working together, but there wasn't a lot more in it than that. Uh, it, uh, when you saw the UK, there's a little bit more, but I think where we need to get to is to say, look, we need cross-fertilization of researchers. So you have these big uh, centers in the US uh, that have been set up in the national labs. Are, would there not be Canadian companies or Canadian researchers who could get involved in those? Uh, there's one or two that are involved in some of the initiatives, that, but that's mostly because they're buddies with the people who are running it. And it wasn't set up through a government to government kind of cooperation. Canada, based on my understanding, has not heretofore signed an agreement with the US because the national strategy is still being finalized. And that's something that is going to finish, I think, early in the new year. And then there'll be a discussion about what that looks like. But I would, what I would hope would happen there would be a real specificity. So not the, we both think quantum's important, but here are some projects we can work on together. Here are some initiatives we can work on together. Uh, certainly, I would think that the quantum communications piece would be an important piece. I would think embedding in each other's labs would be an important piece. I would think um, also working together on, uh, on post-quantum cryptography would be a very important uh, area of focus. I think it is fair to say and important to acknowledge that uh, say between Europe and the US, there might be some commercial competition elements. So we need to say, yes, of course, those commercial competition elements and quests for talent and things of that nature are going to be there. But there are these common shared projects, I think, that we can get behind. And what we also ought to be thinking about as we develop the quantum internet and some quantum computing standards, quantum computing systems would be, how do we look at standards? Because standards are the things that we would want to see North America dominating in going forward, that if people use North American standards, they will buy North American technology and they will see North American systems and services as a way to go forward. And certainly we are in a space now where we are trying to figure out how to make a terrestrial line carry a quantum signal for further than 80 miles without it really breaking down. And we're trying to figure out how to do all of these different things. But in the back of our mind, it also should be, how do we coordinate so as we formalize this technology, we get standards that the rest of the world can, can use. 
And so this is where we need to get specific and actionable in these pieces and not just say it's important because we all know it's important, but the next phase, and I, I hope we would see with Canada would be uh, a specific set of deliverables and also frankly, a, a, a more robust dialogue with the industries on both sides of the board. Wonderful, thank you. Um, there are two questions here about talent. Um, so uh, I'm gonna kind of combine them together. You know, you mentioned the importance about talents and the, the gap in talent. And you know, what are the type of initiatives that folks are doing or should be doing at the governments either in Canada or the US should lean in on? Are there any specific kind of use cases or scientific fairs or areas you would recommend um, for the US and Canada to come together for the talent gap? Right, so certainly on the, there's things that one can do domestically on talent, there are broad, broad talent development pieces. So uh, first of all, um, one of the things that Canada has as a huge advantage is um, its express entry program. So there's a big debate in the United States about immigration and where people go. But if you want to go to Canada, you could essentially set up in a matter of weeks, your spouse gets a work permit and, and you're invited. And so we also saw Canada use a major research grant to bring the person who founded Zapata uh, Computing to the University of Toronto. And so certainly from a a national interest perspective, looking at uh, things around immigration, temporary entry, research grants, and these sorts of collaborations to get some of the, the key folks to set up uh, would be really important. And if they're not going to the US or Canada, they may be going to Europe or other parts of the world. On the talent development side, uh, I think certainly one, there needs to be an effort to make aware that this is an exciting area. I mean, it's the same problem that we faced all along of how do you get kids to go into uh, STEM? How do you get kids to focus on careers in computing? We saw the same thing with cybersecurity. One of the things that the Air Force has done very well is getting people around the country excited in competing for uh, in, in these competitions and frankly, getting uh, scholarships as a result of that. And so we have to think about how do we identify people who have the aptitude for this, but this could be whether somebody's going into cybersecurity or software development or, or quantum or whatever it is. And um, I, I think in, in some respects, I mean, with my own daughter, I, she did four weeks of STEM education this summer and she was uh, she's seven. So it's a way of encouraging people to say, this is a viable career and something that people want to work on, but it does mean making people aware of it and giving them the path to do it. Well, thank you so much. I know we had a few more questions in the chat, but we are at time um, and I wanna be mindful of everyone's schedules. Uh, again, thank you, Eric, for your time today here. Um, his report is available online uh, and I believe it was in the event uh, website as well. Um, we really appreciate your time and your thoughtfulness uh, coming to us. And again, for anybody who's joined us who's not part of the Quantum Working Group at the moment, um, please, please, please reach out to Kirsten or myself. Um, we are happy to engage with others. Uh, this is not just for US only uh, folks. So, so some of our friends from Canada, if you'd like to join, we really appreciate it. Uh, Kirsten has put her email in the chat. 
uh, for folks who were not able to get here in the beginning. But thank you again for your time, Eric. Thank you again for your thoughtful yeah. responses. We appreciate and, it. And if folks have other questions, um, I think you my email was on the presentation or you could get it from Kirsten and I'm happy to give you the longer detailed response about the numbers or anything else. So thanks for your time today. Thanks everybody, have a great day. You too, thank you, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.